the NEPAC and podcast. We're coming to you live from Cole Creative in downtown Wilkes-Barre. I'm Rich Howells. I'm the founder and editor of NEPAC. I'm John Popko. I work for uh, Time Shamrock Communications and Radio for Rock 107, Alt 921, and ESPN Radio. And I am the host of Saturday night's uh, show on Alt 921 called Alt Natives, where I play an hour of local music. And my name is Brittany Boot, and I'm the owner of Boot Photography Studio. And tonight we're here with uh, Scranton author and filmmaker Kenny Luck, who uh, wrote and directed the uh, viral short documentaries Opioid Nation, The Making of an Epidemic, and uh, Half Empty, Life in America's Unhappiest City. So we're going to talk about uh, the opioid epidemic in our area, uh, the impact uh, it's had, uh, what he learned during the filmmaking process, um, the discussions his film have uh, has started online, uh, NEPA's... Uh, ongoing attitude problem that uh, we continue <laughs> to deal with on a regular basis. Uh, writing and making music, because uh, this guy is a uh, renaissance man, and uh, so much more. So uh, please join our conversation tonight. Uh, leave your questions and comments down below, and uh, we'll get to those uh, throughout the show. Uh, now before we get to the interview, though, we, uh, we have some beers to drink from our sponsor, Beer Boys in Wilkes-Barre. Uh, they have 72 beers on tap, including 24 from Pennsylvania breweries, and tonight we're actually featuring all Pennsylvania breweries in one form or another. Uh, so we have uh, Das Pretzel Goza by uh, Roy Pitts Brewing Company in Chambersburg. Uh, we have Vaughn's Cream Ale uh, by uh, Berwick Brewing in Berwick, which uh, actually is a special version that you can only get at Beer Boys, but we'll talk about that in a little bit. And uh, one and done, number 11, by uh, Benny Brewing, which is uh, right here in Wilkes-Barre. So uh, which one do you want to pop open first? I think we start with the uh, the weird one. Okay. Not weird, but uh, it's, the one with uh, a it's, Randall. It's through, through a Randall. Yes. So uh, I didn't know what a That's Randall was. I had to, uh, to look it up. But uh, if you've ever been to Dogfish Head or if you know anything about that brewery, they, they've kind of uh, led the way in terms of uh, craft brewing. And they came up with this uh, invention that essentially infuses any beer uh, with fruit or whatever you want. So in this case, uh, Beer Boys has a Randall that they used on Vaughn's Cream Ale, which is kind of a standard cream ale, uh, you know, good, but nothing particularly stands out about it. It's, it's kind of a crisp and easy drinking beer. Uh, but they infuse this one with Sour Patch Kids. So I'm very curious <laughs> as to what the hell that tastes More like. sour. Yeah. Uh, I would assume sour, but maybe, maybe not. Maybe it's a different kind of sour. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We've had some Definitely, sour beers yeah. on here in the past, and I seem to be the only fan of those. Uh, so maybe this one will be a little bit different. Uh, you want to crack that one open? Yeah, let's yeah. do that. So yeah. you can only get this at Beer Boys. Yes, yes. This is one that they specifically made there. So uh, They have a lot of fun there with uh, that. Well, Ryan does. He's, yeah. He's always putting something. Something weird. Weird. Uh, maybe not even weird. <laughs> yeah. Are we all boozing? Yeah. All right. Because oftentimes we have guests who don't drink, and it's like, all right, get the fuck out. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're going to talk about opioids, so I guess beer is okay. Yeah, that's right. This is the acceptable drug. <laughs> Socially acceptable drug. That we can sell to you. <laughs> and as you say, your, your girlfriend is partaking? Yeah, she's going to have one too, yeah. Right. <laughs> Just so you know, we don't do this for everyone. Yes. So you're getting a treat, Marta. Very special. Thank you, Thank you guys. <laughs> I'll 
It's real good. I'm totally kidding. <laughs> yeah. If we can get more beer in the hands from beer boys, you know. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, people should really know what they're doing now. Yeah, we'll even share with Gerard, too. <laughs> <laughs> Gerard, are you a Sour Patch Kid fan? I like this beer. I think so. Yeah. It smells good. Yeah, it's very, it's, it's definitely has a very it fruity. Like, it tastes like high school. Vibe. Yeah. Like yeah. <laughs> it's that artificial fruit sort of flavor. Yeah. Yeah. You know, very sugary kind of taste to it, but it doesn't taste, like it doesn't hurt your teeth. It's kind of light on the palate too. I'm not a it's huge like beer guy, but it's smooth. Yeah. 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 It is very smooth, which I guess comes from the, the cream ale part of it. Yeah. It probably adds that. This would be good on ice with some vodka in it. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm a drunk. More, more alcohol. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> More booze, please. Well, that's only a 5.4, so I can see why. <laughs> yeah, I can use a shot. Yeah. Yeah. A shot of vodka. Yeah. Now, we also want to give a shout-out to one of our other sponsors, The Keys in downtown Scranton. Uh, this Thursday is their open mic. Uh, Friday is a uh, First Friday art show, uh, followed by uh, Estacota Acoustic, uh, Send Request, Family Animals, and Elephants Dancing. Uh, Saturday night is a night of folk and bluegrass music uh, with Christopher Kearney, uh, David Haig, who is a coal miner canary, and American Buffalo Ghost, which is uh, Sean Flynn from uh, Old Charades. Um, the Kirby Center is also a sponsor. Uh, tonight they have Fozzie, which uh, you know made parking a little difficult tonight, but uh, they, they seem to have a good crowd for that. Uh, Linda Eaters on October 6th. Uh, Halloween movie screenings on October 13th. Uh, Arlo uh, Gunthry on uh, October 27th. And Evil Dead the Musical on October 30th. So they got a lot going on this month. And there's there's also a few other things I didn't even mention. Uh, Loyalty Barbershop and Shave Parlor is a sponsor as well. Uh, they have locations in Scranton, Archibald, and they just opened a new shop in Wilkes-Barre on uh, South Main Street, where the old Cafe Metro used to be, if you remember that. Uh, they just had a uh, big party over the weekend uh, to, uh, to celebrate that with musicians and stuff. Uh, Packed. Our photographer, Keith Perks, went there, took some pictures. Uh, it was a cool event, lots yeah. of... And, uh, Bob Lewis came yep. out of... I spent most of the weekend with him preparing. Yeah. <laughs> we had a lot of fun. We uh, turned a whole day into a Polaroid, Polaroid day and just went around taking crazy pictures, <laughs> which we ended up putting in his CDs at the uh, album oh, release. Cool. We put a Polaroid in each CD. Nice. That's neat. Yeah. Now he, has, he has a new, new album, right? He does. It's very Bob. It's very... You know, I just wanted to like come together, man, and just have it be simple and cool and just like... You know, no bullshit, you know? And so, like, <laughs> that was, like, the we just hung out that whole weekend and just made the album art with no bullshit and, like, just hung out and took Polaroids and just made it, like, really simple and cool. And that's exactly what he wanted that's to awesome. do. So. <laughs> now, where is he living now? Nashville. He's in Na East Nashville. Wow. Yeah. He good loves it. Yeah. Well, it's a good music scene down there, so. Yeah, he, I knew he'd fit right in. Yeah. I remember when he left. When he left and... The two people I hung out with the most at that time was him and Justin Mazur, and they both moved at the same time. Justin moved to Burlington, and yeah. Bob moved to Nashville, and I was like, what am I going to do? <laughs> <laughs> but we still kept in touch, obviously. Yeah. You know, Life just got a little less interesting. Yeah, I was like, these are literally inseparable with these two people, you know, and then they both go off to do bigger and better things and leave me behind. <laughs> South Wilkes Bear. I'm still in the most southern part of the city. <laughs> I'm holding it down though, I guess. All right. side, we just got real sidetracked. <laughs> That's all right. Uh, we we have a tendency to go on tangents. That's yeah. kind of the whole point of a podcast. Uh, 
So, Kenny, uh, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Um, first of all, I want to say it's a huge pleasure to be on the podcast because I've been following you for a couple of years. Thank you. I was waiting for this day, so I'm super excited to be here, <laughs> and it's awesome, so I appreciate it. Cool. I appreciate you coming on and uh, taking the time to do it. Yeah, no I, problem. You've, you've had a, a busy media schedule. You've been on, uh, like, practically every other radio <laughs> It's been crazy, yeah. I did, uh, like... Rock 107, you know, WILK, like all the big things. And it's kind of crazy. It's like there hasn't been one that really hasn't asked about this issue. So it was pretty right. pretty cool to, to kind of be doing this little, I'm not calling it a tour, but that's what it's kind of turning into <laughs> this month, you know? Right. It's pretty neat. That's awesome. Well, the, the, the video just hit uh, over 23,000 views at this point, which was uh, kind of beat the old one. It did. You know, which uh, it, took, it took a little bit longer. And I, I, don't know if the, I don't know if you have any in, insight into that, but uh, do you think it's because of the subject matter? Like, I think the Unhappiest City one really kind of got people right away. Yeah. And this one, I think, was more of a slow buildup in terms of uh, do people want to get into this heavy topic? Because the other one, I think... Despite it being dark, it's also a little bit lighter. Yeah, yeah, and it's a really good question because I've been driving my girlfriend crazy the last couple of weeks talking about, oh, it's at this, it's at this thousand, <laughs> yeah. and, and not that I'm counting or anything, but, but uh, yeah. yeah, and it's a good question. So the first one, it was like two weeks, and it was like boom, but it was it was just major spike fast, and then and then it, you know over the last year there's been a couple clicks here and there. Mm. This one was a slow and steady build, and. Uh, just this afternoon, which was great timing for this, that I was I was uh, uh, one of my side gigs. I'm a substitute teacher, so I'm in with the kids today, and I'm like checking it to see, you know, where it's at, and it just crossed the threshold. So the last one tipped out at about twenty three six hundred and change. Mm. This one just hit twenty three seven hundred, and it's in the last two hours it hit about one hundred and fifty two hundred views, which I don't know what was happening there. <laughs> so to answer your question, I think. Part of it is because I think this was 33 minutes, and still that's not a full-length feature, but it's quicker than 15 minutes. Right. So I think true. the length of time had to do with it. And I think this one was – it was. The subject matter is much heavier. It's about drugs and death and, you know, all these yeah. things. So I think I think the content played a role as well. Sure. Well, uh, let's let's first talk about uh, the, the first film that you did, uh, which talks about essentially why – uh, Scranton is considered uh, in many polls and studies and things like that were the unhappiest cities in America, the unhappiest city in America, and uh, talking to different people in the area about whether they think that's true or false and things like that. It's something that we've talked about probably a hundred times on this show in some <laughs> form or another. Uh, but uh, what made you want to, uh, to to get into filmmaking in the first place? Because I mean, you, you have a lot of other stuff going on. You're also an author, uh, as you said. You're a teacher. You know, so you have other creative outlets. You do a little bit of music and stuff too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, real quick. I, it's good to have this kind of long form format to talk about it because it's always sound bites. But I'll give you the quick version, which was. You know, as you know, we went to college together, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, before that I was into music and a lot of people don't know this, but I did a little stint at Berkeley College of Music in Boston. Oh, really? So I actually, that was in 2002, which seems like light years, but I did just under a year and like many Berkeley people, I dropped out because I'm like, this is crazy. Enrolled in Marywood and just got lost in year for a couple of years in books and 
reading literature and French existentialism, all this crazy esoteric stuff. So then, um, you know, at the time I was doing the books, the first book came out in 2010, and I always knew there was a future in this stuff because even at that time, I mean, social media was around and there were different outlets for it, but it still was difficult to get into. And, and as you guys know, and a lot of the people here, filmmaking, photography, it has like a high barrier of entry because you got to spend money on equipment, you got to learn software. So somebody like me that has ADHD, that really appeals to me because you could work a little bit on music, you could work on story, you could work on color theory and all these different things. So that appeals to me. But I knew when I knew around 2010, I'm like, this is something I want to get into. So the following year, I took a job as a PR coordinator at a university and they had a really low budget. So they hired me more as a writer. Uh, but they said, hey, if you want to get involved with film, go right at it because we can't afford somebody. So the early work was really shaky and not really good, but that's how you get started with things. And so I kind of learned on the job and then um, continued to take all these kind of crazy freelance things that a lot of people don't want to bother with. Uh, everything from, I filmed everything from birthday parties to weddings to like everything, like documentaries for business, just to kind of teach myself as I go along. And, uh, and I'm still feel like I'm always going to be a student of this no matter what happens. So I try to stay humble with it. And there's always something new to learn because it's changing constantly too. So, right. So did you imagine when you had started the, uh, your first, uh, short film, essentially, did you think that it was going to gain all that traction? No, not, not at all. And to be honest with you, I remember when that was going on and what well, was like February of 2016. Yeah. And I remember we put it up on the website and I thought this would be great if I could crack a thousand. Like really, I thought right. this could be great. If did in like in two hours, it was like at 5,000 or something. I'm <laughs> yeah. like, who are all these people watching this? You know? <laughs> so, I mean, a little bit of backstory about that. So, um, I think you know this. I'm I'm in grad school still at Marywood. I'm a doctoral student in human development. So I'm interested in like social science research and all that kind of thing. And I remembered a few years prior to that that there was a study done. This was like a national sample that they used to figure out like where are the unhappiest places in the United States. And That's what I was curious of. Like, what, where, what's the reality of that? And, like, where do they get that kind of information? A lot of, well, I could get into the data yeah, sure. a little bit if you want. Uh, but I knew about this study, and I was, I was interested in this topic. And at the time, I was making these little short videos on, like, grit and resilience and all these kind of positive psychology topics. Sure. And then that kind of came across my attention, and I thought how could a population be unhappy? This is interesting because I'm <laughs> yeah. pretty miserable sometimes, you know? And how yeah. could an entire pop? So that's what kind of lead to, led to that sort of interest. Now, to answer your question, if, if you don't mind me jumping into that, without boring people with a lot of the, the boring, what they'll do is they'll take a sample. So, like, there's, what, 300 million people in the United States, roughly. So there's actually uh, statistics charts that will indicate whether or not something's like whether your sample has the predictive power of the population you're trying to predict about. So what they'll, they'll do a lot of the times, and again, without being uber boring, there's all these things called parametric statistical tests. So you can actually like 
test these things and be within five percent or one percent sure that you're correct. Mm. So that this they use They're this like algorithms to decide. Yeah, and based the, on things like what economics or well, the, whatever the the researchers decide the variables are going to be. So in that particular, and I don't, I mean, I'm not an expert on that particular study, mm -hmm. so I'm not sure, but I know the variable was like socioeconomic status per population and happiness, and they would actually go around and do phone calls. And I think from that study in particular, they took a lot of data from the CDC. So they have all this right. stuff laying around. But what they did was take that and then run these statistical tests on it and came up with Scranton. So it's, <laughs> uh, it's interesting, but they use those methods and everything from predicting happiness to whether a drug is a placebo or not. And mm. it's pretty reliable. So, so it's it was like some statistical... Yeah scientific truth to it yeah oh yeah definitely I was curious. definitely like, is this just like clickbait or no is no like... it wasn't clickbait yeah they actually had that's what i was curious of they yeah. probably uh just looked at our local news comments and were just like, <laughs> yeah Fuck, this this is it this is this is the unhappiest <laughs> this, this place this on has to be fucking planet like holy shit yeah. what is I, wrong the highlight is that train yeah <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. Well, you know, and, and and that's I'm 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 glad you you brought that up because I thought that that was such a great way to spin that idea around because here's a bunch of people being super cynically negative about something so silly and pointless and fun that John Oliver was able to play on that yeah. you know essentially make fun of people for getting so passionate about a backyard train yeah you know <laughs> right. on WNEP and then turn that into a you know I'm gonna play a big joke on you and create this gigantic train just to you know piss more people off or to get more people talking and stuff like that and the, the fact that you know WNEP I think has a great sense of humor about it you know they always kind of well they get it because they deal with it they do on yeah. a regular and they, basis so and, it's like... and I like that they they respond a lot of times they'll yeah. do an entire segment they're where they just respond to people who are on talkback. And a lot of times it's combating the negativity yeah. that people have. So I thought it was cool that they were like, all right, we'll actually go and pick up the train and I bring it here. You know, their reaction most of the time in certain situations, especially like with the stuff with talkback, like it'll just be like the most ridiculous complaints. And <laughs> they'll create like a montage just like combating it. it, but not like being offensive. Right, right. But like still getting the message across that you're absolutely ridiculous. And sure. Like you need yeah. To exactly. They're, but they're, also embracing it. Yeah. Because they're like so community oriented and like putting a positive. They're like so good at that. Yeah, they they are. They're 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 very clever. They've done a good job with that. Yeah. And I I I think the 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 the, the film is interesting because it really ta uh, breaks it down as to what people do actually think in the area. You talk to a lot of different kinds of people, uh, you know, not just in media and things like that, but other other you know, uh, psychologists, things like that as well, to kind of get an idea of, like, is this actually true or not? And I think there is a general consensus that, yeah, people in here are kind of miserable, you know? I think so, and I and I always thought it was... I always find Scranton in particular, but even, you know, I live in Wilkes-Barre currently, but I've spent time in Scranton and throughout the whole Northeast section here, but I always feel like Scranton's interesting. It's like a microcosm of the rest of the country, and that's cliche because they've said that when it comes to elections and different things, but mm. I really think that things that happen here can be extracted out into more of a national audience, sure. and that's what I'm trying to do with these films. It's we like, have a little bit of everything. We, we do. We have your rural Republican type of demographic where people are into 
that sort of thing, like hunting, and we sure. also have your urban environment, we have your artistic environment. Like, I feel like Wilkes-Barre is a, an example of so many different, you don't want to use the word stereotypes, but sure. genres yeah. of cultures and backgrounds, of Ameri American cultures and backgrounds specifically, of like the way people grow up in this country, Scranton and Wilkes-Barre have just about every part of that, I think, living mm. in a 30 to 40 mile radius. Well, politically, it's so interesting that the same area that got Obama elected twice is also the area that got Trump elected. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it shows you just how split the area can really be when it comes to mm -hmm. that kind of thing and how split they Split down the be. middle. Yeah, it really is, you know? And I think it showed that more people came out for Trump because they were just more passionate. There's, and, a, lot more know, money. There's a lot more money and in this area people I think, are... than people think, too. Right. And I think that plays a big aspect when it comes to the political... But it's in a, it's in a small amount of people. You know, that wealth is very, right. you know, as, as Bernie would say, you know, very, not very well distributed. So Bernie. You have... You know his voice? Bernie. <laughs> <laughs> He just went like, like this, and that was good enough. Chew. Yeah, exactly. That's all you gotta yeah, do. You gotta, yeah. Just do, just, just do a, you know, a curb your enthusiasm kind of. Yeah, like a Larry stereotypical David. Uh, Jewish impression. You pretty, yeah. you pretty much got it down. But uh, my, I just think it was so crazy that we uh, we're we're still talking about that in, in a lot of ways. You know that it, it's not something that. Uh, you know, was a one-time thing and dies down. I think that subject can be brought up again and again. Yeah, I think so too. And, m and maybe there's more room for films in it. Who knows? You know, it's it's sure. ongoing. Now, with the with the opioid epidemic, like uh, I mean, I, there was a lot of national coverage that came out of that. First, it seemed it, to me, it seemed like we didn't have you know, other than you know, this person overdosed or this person got arrested with drugs. I didn't think there was a lot of local coverage on that There's until the deaths. national stuff came in, you know, until you saw NBC doing things on it and stuff, and then it was like, oh, yeah, statistically it is pretty bad here. And then you saw a lot more uh, of the big media around here kind of jumping on that bandwagon to talk the about those things. The death is off the charts. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's outrageous. Like, the statistics are outrageous, you know, and you talked about that. A bit. That was something that, uh, you know, we talked earlier about what I learned, and I had no idea that that was... I mean, I live in my own little world. I go to Barnes & Noble all the time. I'm, like, in these couple spots, and, I, you know, I'm not out talking to people all the time right. in my own life, but when it came to actually coming to do the film, when I actually did go out, I didn't realize, like, when they're saying epidemic, how prominent it it really is around here. And I think you're right. I mean, even in the last couple of years, I don't think it was until 2014, maybe 2015, 2016, the last couple of years where that started to pick up traction right. the way that it did. Um, and maybe this is a good segue to talk about, you know, why that idea. And, and, you know, we were discussing half empty and for about a year, I kicked around an idea of like, okay, how do I follow this up? Because I'll put up a video on YouTube and it might be a wedding montage or something I'm doing. It could a couple hundred sure. hits. Okay, that's what I expected. But then, you know, how do I do something? So I was kind of planning this for like a, a good year and we kicked around different topics. One idea that came up that I, I still think is interesting, but it might not pull in the popular imagination as well as this is actually there's there's pockets within Luzerne and Lackawanna counties that are food deserts. Hmm. So there's people that live in these areas that, that I guess however they calculate that, that you live at this point and within this radius, 
or do you have access to like clean, healthy food? And I thought that's a huge thing. Like, so we kicked that idea around. And then a friend of mine actually said to me, he's like, you should look into this opioid stuff because like you mentioned, it seems to be getting a lot of uh, press. And, and once I kind of opened the box, that was it. It was like, mm. I couldn't ask enough people to, to come be interviewed. People were writing to me. I know this person. I have an aunt. I have an uncle. My brother OD'd. And eventually I had to kind of start saying no because I'm like, look, I had a deadline. I wanted to get this thing out by the end of the summer. And it's just insane how many people are affected by it. Mm. Well, the... the um uh, it's interesting now that we're talking about it, it really the two films are connected in that way you know you see that maybe someone's unhappiness or their economic ish you know problems or whatever else may lead to uh these kinds of issues may, maybe lead to drug use and and uh and, and blow up from the escape there of that. right exactly to to get uh, to, to forget about that for even just a few minutes mm -hmm. and you know maybe that led into that because you did you talked to uh, an addict as well yeah yeah, and a lot of the people I interviewed with this current film, I tried to bring in similar to Half Empty, but have different perspectives. So mm -hmm. there's like a law enforcement perspective. There's like a policy sort of perspective. There's a psychologist. But then I tried to find people that were either former addicts. Um, and the, the, the film, as you know, it kind of focuses on a mother who lost her son to it. Right. And I felt like she ended up becoming, which was interesting because she was the last interview that we did. And it ended up just being built around her after that. And the, the guy that we spent the day with her, and when I drove home that day, it was like this long day out past Tunkanic in Wyoming County. And as soon as we were leaving, I said to the guy that was helping me, I said, this is what it's going to focus around. And, and, you know, I felt like I tried to bring in all these different perspectives. That said, however, it's interesting because a lot of the comments have been pretty negative that I didn't fat bring in other ethnic groups or other people from mm. different socioeconomic. And I think a lot of those comments are justified, but they have to realize too that I'm an independent guy. I don't have a million dollar budget to Rich do gets this. That. Sure. Yeah, you get, you, you get that. So why didn't you do this? Well, you know what? If I had a, a huge, you yeah, know, if I, I had an unlimited right. budget. Yeah, yeah. And people don't understand that, they, you know, when you do any creative project, whether it's film or journalism or yeah. book writing, you have to choose within constraints. I mean, you're limited by time, money, re access to resources, and the decisions you make define you, but that doesn't mean you don't care about the things you're not including. It just sure. means you have to prioritize, and sometimes you're determined by budgets and schedules and that kind of thing, and that's part of what was driving that, too. So Sure. And then, you know, and uh, I, I think it also in terms of access as well, because, I mean, let's, let's be frank. You're a white guy who is going in, to, you know, and you're, you know, at least doing well enough. So they might look, they might say, oh, this, uh, you know, you're just, you're, you're coming down to us. You know, you're, you're talking down as opposed to trying to raise awareness and that sort of thing. I mean, I've, I've met those kinds of issues as a reporter sometimes. You know, some people feel like, oh, the media doesn't care about me. Uh, you don't care about me. You're just kind of using me for this story. Yeah. That sort of thing. Yeah. You know, you want to take my, my misery, essentially, and turn it capitalize into something. Capitalize on Yeah, that. capitalize yeah. it, turn it into a profit, that kind of thing, well, too. Well, so that's a mentality in itself. People think like that. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, it's, it's tough to be able to to get that kind of, uh, you know, access to people. I mean, and a lot of people don't, you know, 
the, I, I thought the mother was very brave to come forward and talk about those kinds of things because a lot of people are ashamed of it and they don't want to talk about yeah, it. And there's things. a definite stereotype of people who are either addicted or currently, and I mean, that's starting to break a little bit. You're starting to see that just sure. because I think the bare raw numbers of the number of people that are either o overdosing or people that have somebody in their family that's overdosing. Just a quick comment though about the media aspect because it's interesting to talk with you about this um, because you deal with it a lot more than I do, but I, but I kind of get that reminder when something like this comes out and you see those kind of comments. And right. you know, I'd like to respond to that because it's, you know, I, I mean, I don't want to get into the real dirty specifics of people that were saying things, but some of the things that were said were just, and we live in this really like racially charged climate right now. And I'm as liberal. Now. Yeah. I'm right. as liberal as you can get. I mean, I voted for Bernie in the primaries and you know, I'm a dem I'm a registered Democrat. I'm progressive center. Um, but some of the things that were, I was accused of on some of the comment sections on Facebook, I was like, where are these people coming from with some of this stuff? Right. But you realize that that is the, the point of any creative work that you're working within constraints and you have to try to like mold it however you can within those constraints and do the best job you could. You're never gonna get it 100%. I mean, let's be honest. Oh, absolutely. Um, even in science research, there's always probabilities where we could be wrong. It might be like less than 1%, but we could still be, sometimes they are. so. The certitude that people want with everything anymore is just kind of, uh, I don't get it. You know, I don't get it. Well, I mean, you look at these Netflix documentaries, which are very popular now, and they're hours and hours and hours long. And you still get those people that are like, you didn't cover this, yeah, you didn't yeah. get that, or whatever. That's so true, yeah. Even if you have that kind of money and budget and time or whatever, you still not might be able to cover everything. You just can't. No, with, you can't. When we were filming the show, uh, uh, one of the complaints was we didn't have any Polish people in the show. So well, you have one now. I'm Polish. <laughs> well, yeah. we in a script. Yeah. So we changed the last name of me, my characters, and my brother's character to end in ski. Oh, okay. Because so, so Wilkes-Barre would have the Polish representation. People were annoyed by that. <laughs> but it's just like stuff like that. Like it's so simple it's stuff that you that you really wouldn't think of right you, know, the, you don't because you get so absorbed in these projects and sure uh you know in my case my aim with this was to really just i just wanted to tell these stories and try to sure. you know i mean this is a cliche in journalism you guys know but you know localize the national nationalize the local and i yeah. and that's always the thing because in the media kind of saturated world we live in, so you want to be able to appeal to people just outside our little niche, but at the same time, you don't want to leave it behind because of the reasons we talked about at the beginning of the show with how many different things that are going on here. Mm. So I think there's almost an endless amount of material here that you could make right. films, report on, write books about, and it's, it's fascinating to me. And I think for people to be engaged in things, especially uh, creatively, they need to be able to relate to them. So yeah. initially, and almost immediately. So even if you did kind of do different uh, backgrounds, you're initially gonna uh, ha engage people that are going to relate to the first person that they see in, that, in right. that piece of work, you know? Which is, that's where you start. If that's your market, that's where you start. And then you can kind of introduce other aspects and bring that into the mix and like hit all angles, but you're never gonna hit every angle. Right. You're just not. Well, the, the, the opioid uh, subject in general, I think, is divisive, and people have their own per, uh, personal passions and opinions about it. 
because it's one of those things, it's not like you're talking about a disease like cancer where anybody can get it. Uh, you know, it's through no fault of your own pretty much 90, 99% of the time. It's not something that, you know, uh, you, you, you plan for, comes out of nowhere or whatever. Uh, with this, I think people, a lot of people have the perspective and, you know, some members of my own family have this perspective. I had this perspective for a long time. It's like, well, you did it to yourself. Mm -hmm. You it's know, a you, you yeah, it's still you, a you, I mean, you you put it in you you know you put it in your vein. It's all your fault if you die from it. Who cares? You know, and and there's this just this lack of compassion and lack of understanding. You just of made the wrong Where mistake. people come from? Yeah, exactly. People you know, make why every day. why you they made did the wrong it? Wrong one. The one that's going to well, stick I, with you. Well, I think people always come from it from their own perspective. Well, they came from this home and they were raised this way and they went to this school yep. and stuff all like that. that. Yeah, it, it's it's completely relevant because the next person didn't have all those it experiences. It doesn't matter. You know what I mean? And and even if they did, who's to say that they're going to have the same personality you do, the same outlook that you do? Everyone has you know. no system of sure, absolutely. who it's going to target. You, know, you might suffer from depression or something like that. You, know, you just you might have been somebody in an environment that you're like, oh, you know, I've never tried this, try anything once, I'm 19 years old. Sure, you know, young, young and dumb, you know. That's what I think makes this epidemic or this addiction problem different because I mean I don't mind adding a personal note but you know I grew up in a an alcoholic household so my my whole childhood you know Al-Anon AA Alateen and you know as I got older I had to like struggle with that and that's where mm -hmm. I try to relate to some of the people I was interviewing I don't know anyone personally that's OD'd on opioids but addiction itself I think has similar kind of Sure. Threads running through it. Now, the difference between alcoholism, for example, and that's just an arbitrary choice, but alcoholism and opioids is that a lot of this stuff, it changes the, you know, it obviously it changes the chemistry of your brain. So it's not just this uh, endorphin high that, you know, I just uh, had a beer or I went for a run or I had sex or something that makes you feel good that's endorphin based. I mean, a lot of this stuff um, goes through the appetite of ass part of the brain and you, you become like physically addicted to it. So right. that's why there are methadone clinics. Sure. Um, and a lot of the, the analogy, I, when I was talking with people, they were, you know, liking it to diabetes because they said, if somebody is a diabetic, they take insulin and, you know, methadone is a, a similar analogy that somebody's addicted. They're going through those withdrawals. It's almost like a maintenance drug. Um, right. so it's an interesting analogy. Now going back to, uh, what you said about it being so controversial. I mean, I didn't realize, for example, it's controversial in some of these little towns, like up in Forkston, which is where one of the mothers was from in Wyoming County. I think she mentioned the sheriff up there. They don't carry, um, I think it's called Nalo uh, Narcan. And it's, it's, it's the pens to where... They all in, carry them here. A lot of them do. And I didn't even... I was thinking, why would this even be controversial? And it's because you have people saying, I don't want my tax dollars, uh, you know, going to pay for something that's going to... Until it happens to someone they know or their children. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what's the alternative? You let the guy die on the street on the gutter and just say, well, screw you. You know what I mean? There has to be like... I don't want to be a bleeding heart, but there has to be some compassion. I mean, you're just... Sure. And it's better for society in general that you know, something like that to be that altruistic to want to help somebody that's, you know, literally dying and you're going to just stand there and say, say it's their fault. Yeah, right. it's their fault. Exactly. Well, you know, we, we have such a predominantly Christian nation and yet so many people, <laughs> right. I was going to when say, it comes to yeah. actually practicing what they preach, it's a completely different story. You look in the comments, any of these people, 
you know, they all they all oh, they go to church on Sunday and this yeah, and that, yeah. but they're happy to let them die, let them go, die, yeah, you know, yeah. you know oh, hang them, throw them in the, you know, it's, throw them in a pit somewhere. I, like, I, it doesn't, you know, there's no compassion. There's I, no, I always wondered about the you know cognitive dissonance with that that they love Jesus and that could they imagine Jesus walking down the street and going oh yeah let him go it's his own fault I mean, right. where does this come from but not that's a whole other subject oh but, sure yeah. <laughs> you know which you and I share a lot of the same opinions you know <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely well I I, I had an, uh, an uncle who was uh, an alcoholic and a drug addict and you know he eventually just you know killed himself because he just kept doing it to himself he, and he was the youngest of of, of all the brothers too and uh, everybody in my family just kind of had to eventually just give up on him. You know, it was more or less like we tried everything. You know, we tried to take him to rehab. We tried to so help much. him. We tried to give him money. We tried to give him a place to stay. We tried to give him this and that. And, you know, I don't know how much of it was, you know, growing up, he was always kind of a selfish guy. He was always kind of, you know, looking out for number one and screw everybody else kind of mm -hmm. person. So I don't know how much of it was his personality and how much of it was, like you said, the drugs that really do take over the way that you think, the way your brain operates, and turns you in a completely different person. But there was only so many things that your family could do before eventually it was just like there's no help in this guy. He's just gonna he's just gonna kill himself eventually, and he did. Yeah, know? and I see that with uh, my own life too with addicts that I've known or family members too that you're just I mean there does you have to draw that line of where do you help this person where, where don't you right. the interesting thing about this issue in particular is that it's it's becoming a politicized issue but it's also becoming a uh, a policy people are looking for policy solutions and all these different aspects so right. it's starting to seep into uh, beyond just a lot of the other things I mean for example I mean Drug use has been around since the dawn of humanity. I mean, these you know biblical civilizations cultivated opiates and different things, but it wasn't until you know the seventies there was the first heroin epidemic. But there was a lot more contained, and it wasn't as widespread. The eighties, you get crack, um, and then you know we get this this new epidemic, and it, it sort of came out of nowhere. And it's interesting to kind of trace in the United States where this has been heading and and personally until i dove into this subject i didn't see this coming and i it's, i don't know what the solution is it's to quote eminem which is like so silly but like so true. <laughs> no it's like fine. middle america now it's a tragedy now it's so sad to see you know yeah, that's yeah. now it's a tragedy because it's right Middle America, it's yeah. your middle class white kids. So yeah, that are doing it. Now you know. it's a tragedy. It's my kids. It's kids who right. look like my kids. It's not hookers on the you know street the guy in, in the Brooklyn. alley with it's the it's not yeah. the home. You know now it's middle America. Now it's in your home. Right. That's when people start, not even like start to wake up, but create some idea of it that either they need to do something or they need to. Do, you're like damn it you know like oh it's not right. a disease like this is your choice and there's either that or there's the people that are like how am I going to uh, affect this issue positively and efficiently or have some effect on it at all you know it's like people take those two different roads I think yeah. and, and what did you find when you were doing all this like how do people start like you know it's not like you wake up one day uh, and decide I'm gonna do heroin there's obviously things that happen, whether it's economics or, or a lot of people say that um, it's doctors. That's an, that's it. Well, that's a really, really good question. It's a really good point. So two parts. What I found was that 
a lot of it, um, again, which makes this epidemic different, is that you know there's 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 opiate painkillers. So those are prescription drugs. And um, there's a really great book I recommend. It's called Dreamland. Uh, it's by a guy named Sam Quinones, if I'm pronouncing his name correctly. Mm. And he kind of traces the whole history of this in, in, in detail about how, you know, it starts out with the football injury or the knee pain or the back pain. So there's a couple threads that kind of converge to create this. So the first mm. thread was in the 1980s, uh, a lot, of, I mean, I'm not a particular expert in this, but from what I understand, um, a lot of doctors started trying to move pain, uh, this pain scale is like a Likert, like one through 10, how much pain do you feel as, as being a vital sign, like heart rate, right. but it's so subjective. I mean, you could say my head hurts, but how do you measure that exactly in a quantitative way that you could objectify and prove that you're actually a 10 on that scale? So a lot of the um, medical opinion throughout the 80s and early 90s started to try to push pain as being this vital sign. So mm. prescription drugs started being pushed big time. That's the, the next thread that came in with a lot of the pharmaceutical companies. I know in 1996, Oxycontin was released by um, Purdue Pharma was the company that released it. And, uh, you know, there's, I mean, I don't want to get conspiratorial, but there was definitely something to be said for these pharmaceutical reps pushing this because, I mean, that's their job, but they yep. started pushing it. So that coinciding with the medical opinion that well pain's a problem how do we treat it right. here comes big pharma and then all of a sudden you know they're there to save the day now before any of that in the 1990s and early 2000s heroin was around but it still didn't kind of become a thing so what ended up happening was i think a lot of the drug cartels started to realize we already have this addicted population basically you know uh prescription painkillers vicodin uh, Oxycontin, a lot of those drugs have the same, you know, I'm not a chemist, but they come from the same chemical makeup as heroin. So it's a lot cheaper to go on the street and buy a 20 bag dollar of heroin and the running rate for illegal prescription drugs, I think it's about a dollar a milligram. So if you want a, a 40 milligram pill for one pill, the street rate is going to be 40 bucks and a lot of addicts don't go under 100 milligrams a day. So I can't even imagine spending 100 bucks a day on one pill, which in a seven day period, you're spending 700 bucks. So in two weeks, that's 14. So do the math, it just kind of goes crazy. So that's that's another thing. So, you know, I, I, this is kind of a roundabout way to answer your question, but I think all these kind of threads have been playing in the pharmaceutical companies over prescribing drug cartels seeing a susceptible population selling heroin. And what's interesting to have the local tie-in, as I'm sure you guys are aware, but Lackawanna County just filed a lawsuit uh, against a pharmaceutical company because they're trying to claim liability for a lot of the opioids. So we're just starting right. to see governments take I mean we'll take see action. Yeah, and right. we'll see kind of like what legal grounds and they how have. How is that and, not like how, like I feel like there how is there not some system in place, whether it's state or federal or private or your county that is regulating how many people are able to right. become prescribed to these drugs that are clearly and proven to lead to deaths heroin I, addictions like how is there not a system in place uh, to regulate that kind of right just well, oh here sell 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 push 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 selling to doctor's offices how is that how has there not been some counteractive thing that 
has been trying to regulate that. We regulate everything. Well, I know, I know. For example, like the FDA, for example, they'll have different classes of drugs. So they'll have like a Schedule One drug or a Schedule Two. I know, for example, a lot of these painkillers are Schedule Two drugs, which means that they, when they, when they prescribe them, and and again, this may have been an evolution over the last decade or decades, because I don't know if it started out this way. It probably didn't, because you wouldn't have the abuse that you had. But I know, for example, with Schedule II drugs, you'll have um, a doctor that they'll only, they're only allowed to prescribe like a 30-day period, and then the person has to come back to do an in-person uh, evaluation. evaluation, and then they'll give them a certain amount. But, I mean, I, I again, I'm not a physiologist, but there's certain threshold after a certain milligram dosage that something happens to the brain that they become physiologically dependent. And right. just, just to tie it in real quick, one of the girls we interviewed in the film, she was a former addict, and that's exactly how she got involved. It wasn't that she was a bad person or that, like you said, she didn't just wake up one day and I'm going to stick a needle in my arm. She told us, she's like, I had, a, I had an injury. Surgery. I, I had a surgery. Yeah. I started to like it. And next thing I know, I turned to the 10 or $20 bag of heroin on the street. That's how it gets started. And that's kind of the message I was trying to make with this film. And again, it's like what you were mentioning earlier, that it's not the scary guy in the alleyway and it's not the cruddy person crawling out of the sewer. It's like, it's your sister or your schoolmate or your coworker that gets started with this. And I just right. wanted to kind of humanize the problem a little bit. And I mm -hmm. hope I did that to a certain extent. You know? It's unfortunate that people won't understand that until they are so closely affected by it. Yeah, it, it's, it is a shame, yeah. If, if it's any comfort, all the comments that we got on uh, our social media when we premiered the, the documentary were all positive. Good, I good. Didn't see any, I didn't see any negativity. <laughs> it's not until you get onto uh, YouTube. That's uh, where I saw it. And, and, yeah. and that's the thing with YouTube as well, is YouTube is kind of infamously toxic with that kind of stuff. Uh, it's not just the... Uh, it's not just the Scranton Times or Citizens Voice or any of those, you know, WNEP's stuff. Uh, it's a national thing, too. You see it on a lot of national articles and stuff. But YouTube, uh, in particular, has a lot of trolls. A lot of people have nothing better to do. Uh, I just, just a, a, a few weeks ago, we had posted a, uh, it, it was just a, a 30 second clip to uh, uh, talk about the, the new Ink Master thing coming out uh, with. Uh, a local tattoo artist who has a spin-off show and all the comments are just ripping the women apart and just they're all misogynistic like yeah, yeah. horribly oh she's fat she's ugly she's you know how could they give these hags a show like like just crazy stuff just out of nowhere and it was just like these people have nothing better to do than sit here and trash stuff without actually doing anything themselves creating anything themselves. And, and, and you're on the forefront of this because you publish stuff daily and have to deal with this and, sure. and it's interesting to hear your perspective um, for me, it's like I kind of pop in and pop out lately with different things. Um, and, you know, the way I handle it is honestly, it's like I just, I mean, there's different philosophies. You could combat it. I actually like the way you deal with it sometimes because you just go right out and you're like, look, this is the way it is. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I, I, you I, know? I, I don't like, I don't try to feed the trolls as they say. Yeah, per se, yeah. But, but I, I, will, I, will, I will respond. I will say, okay, wait a minute. You know, you're saying something you call, that is just yeah, not right. And, 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 and I know you and I had a mutual um, uh, idol in, in Christopher Hitchens. And he was somebody <laughs> yeah, that would yeah. do that a lot when he was alive. But, sure. you know, the way I've been handling this is just basically, you know, not responding to the negativity. Because, I, I mean, I made mistakes early on with the books with, 
nepotized, you know, I would just engage with people and it would be this back and forth and it, it created, right. it made me exhausted. And I was like, I, I just, so I learned from earlier mistakes just to not engage in that stuff. And that's yeah, kind of my philosophy. You do have to draw a line somewhere and say, all right, I'm, I'm done. I'm not gonna, you know, cause that, that's kind of what they want. You yeah, know. you just go down the rabbit hole with it, and uh, I think you do a great job with handling it. And, Thank you. you know. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, we, we did actually, I did get a, um, a question. Jess Mione, uh, who uh, we've, we've had on the show Oh, yeah, before. yeah, Jess, yeah. Uh, Kenny says, have you seen The Man with the Golden Arm? Is uh, it a film? The, yes. The, the, she said it's based on the book uh, by the same name. Um, so has, uh, Frank Sinatra. Uh, he's addicted to morphine. Oh no! So I very, very uh, so very interesting perspective. It, 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 I I I haven't seen the whole film. I, I could catch part of it one night on TV. It was, it was good. Well, I never saw it. I'm going to make a note of it. I have to say, Jess is a very talented person that contributes a lot. So I'm just plugging her because she's great. And yeah. you know, I got to say, but um, that's an interesting thing about heroin because you know, in the 40s and 50s, it was kind of it did have this hip intrigue to it because you had people like right. Sonny Rollins that were addicted um, in the literary circles which you know like William S. Burroughs these people were all heroin addicts and I think early on it had this sort of intrigue to it and then it got yeah. really dark really quick because right. you know I'm a huge fan of jazz music and, and a lot of jazz musicians would would abuse it um, sure. Charlie Parker I think um, and people like that so and then I mean there's a whole history of this that's fascinating in a lot of so. Sure, uh, you know a lot of a lot of uh, interesting music and writing kind of came out of drug use. It so did. It, it's controversial in that nature. People memorize like, it. Yeah, yeah, it does. I jump right back in there. <laughs> early on, yeah, yeah, it would, you, you did know. quite literally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, it's definitely has that that uh, you know perspective, and in you know in some cases it seems like uh, musicians kind of sometimes create their best work. On that stuff, and then when they're clean up and they're they're sober it's, and they're, their they're album sucks or something. yeah, they're, they're, they're completely different. You know, like yeah, like, yeah. Uh, like Trent Reznor being a good example. Yeah, like his yeah. stuff is so different now. I think anyway, as a, as a longtime fan, you know, when he was on drugs, it was like this stuff was super dark and super angry and stuff like that. Now that he's happier and in a better place, like okay, you're you're you're, you're very talented, but less relatable. Not, yeah, yeah, that is good. Exactly, very much less relatable. I mean, you're 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 a millionaire now, so I, I yeah, guess it's going to be much harder to write that <laughs> yeah. from that perspective. So I guess you know, kudos for not being a phony. Yeah, and trying to you know make it dark when it, when it, I guess you can't be. You know? so, someone who recently passed away was uh, Walter Becker from Steely Dan. Yes. Uh, earlier in September, and I know he had. I'm just bringing him up as an example, but I'm a big fan of the Dan, you know, and yeah. he, he had a heroin problem, I think in the seventies and eighties. So you see it across different uh, subgroups and uh, sure. it, it's, it's uh, interesting to look at. I guess there's, there's no good way to, as we're talking about addiction to transfer back to. No, the, there, there, beer, there right? has not been a, a good. <laughs> Same way. Are you going to be like, oh, can we drink this other beer? I'm just like, I'm just going to drink it because I'm thirsty. <laughs> yeah. No, go for it. Go for it. What, 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 did, what did you open? The, uh, the Benny Brewing oh, the Benny One and Done. It's very good. It's, uh, it's a dry hopped Belgian Saison. I think, see, here's the thing about craft beer. Is it's it, I guess it has much less of a stigma because all these all these craft beer people are snooty as shit. Well, it's, so, it's like a wine. Yeah, oh, exactly. I mean, really. it's uh, swish it around a little bit and <laughs> spit it out. You know, yeah, like, yeah. You know, smell it for twenty minutes before I drink it. You know, that kind of thing. So. Are you are you partaking, Brittany? Sure. Th yeah. 
course. Well, I, I can't reach your cup. So this is you. one and done number eleven. Apparently, there's sixteen of these different different styles and uh, different uh, different ones. But uh, what is this one, Benny? One? Yeah, it's a uh, Belgian saison. Oh, I like all the beers tonight. Yeah. Kudos. <laughs> Kudos to beer boys. <laughs> on uh, North Washington Street in Wilkes-Barre. Yeah. <laughs> 72 beers on tap. <laughs> like... You guys are so good at that. <laughs> Johnny, I, got, right. I caught on from Johnny. He's like the man with Well, that. yeah, he, he is the sales guy out of all of Yeah, us, like so he's... He's coming with that brain and that perspective. What's that? You're like You're just the, the guy. guy. I got, well, don't, don't call me that. <laughs> <laughs> No one, no one likes a sales guy. <laughs> Not a sales guy, but just like, you know, plug, you're the plugger. Plug, yeah, yeah. Yeah, plug yeah well, you know, that's what they pay for. I know. <laughs> I'm a big uh, advocate of getting what you pay for, so. Right. I don't lie to my clients. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers. So from the, uh, now, now that the, the movie's been out for a little bit and you've kind of, you know, uh, what what is your... What is your perspective on the film looking back now? I, we talked about that a little bit, but uh, you know, maybe what's next? What are you looking at in the future? Yeah, thanks for asking that. I think uh, well, this month has been you know just giving a little bit of a plug. You know, this month there's a ton of events related to this, which I was surprised oh, right. that came up. Um, yeah, uh, I'm going to be speaking at BlockCon uh, in two weeks at Penn State Worthington and discussing. Uh, you know, sparking conversations through creative work. So that's kind of going to be coming up. Um, Lackawanna College and I are partnering, and we're going to be doing a, a, a public showing of it uh, on Thursday, October 19th. It's free and open to the public at 12 to 1, and they're going to do a Q&A session. Mm. And then uh, finally, it's going to be showed at the NEPA Film Festival, which is mm. awesome. I'm, like, super excited because to get something into any film festival isn't always easy, and I think the fact that they asked me to submit and it got in. I'm like super excited. So for the next couple of weeks, I'm going to definitely be plugging this and seeing how it goes. Um, to answer your question quickly, you know, looking back, um, I mean, not to, not to get in the nerdy Uber details, but I feel like as a filmmaker, there's always something more to learn. Like there's always something about sound. There's always something about, you know, visual aesthetics that you could do differently and i'm always learning constantly and i always hope each project can be done better and different and that's kind of one thing um and going forward you know i would really like to think about maybe you know this the first one was 15 minutes this was 33 eventually i want to do a 90 minute feature but that aside i'm also interested in looking at maybe like a series or something of shorter videos like what would it be like to do like a three-part little 10-minute series on one issue, almost do these little episodes or vignettes oh, okay. of something. How would that drive traffic differently? So I'm sure. like experimenting, and I think because people, you know, over the last couple of years, streaming has been exploding, and right. uh, it'd be interesting. Is I think it's a good time to be a filmmaker, actually, because you have these uh, platforms, you have this audience, and I think, you know, I, there's definitely going to be things coming up the pike. Um, I would love to jump into something right now, but I think probably early next year, maybe mm -hmm. I got to fish around and find the, the appropriate topic and we'll see how it goes, you know? Sure. Well, uh, hopefully we can partner on that. As yeah, well. I would love to. I would love to. You've been great with everything. So. It's, it's cool because I, I think what you're trying to do, what I'm trying to do are related in that sense, you know, kind of alternative media, you know, a little bit outside of what everyone else is doing locally. 
you know, and approaching topics from a different perspective and from more of a, a filmmaking perspective, which I think is interesting. Because I think the, the news perspective, while it can be informative, I think bores people sometimes or doesn't get them to engage the way that you want. Like, I love what, you know, going back to John Oliver, mm -hmm. what he's been doing with his show, yeah. where it kind of sets a whole, instead of just doing the, okay, here's, here's a little bit of news and here's a joke and here's news and a joke, which is great, you know, The Daily Show, Colbert, all those mm -hmm. guys really pioneered that style and really moved forward on <coughs> it. Uh, you know, out, outside of the whole SNL thing, you know, the weekend update kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, and got yeah. beyond that and really started getting into, like, really smart stuff uh, that's, I think, much much better and more impactful. And then you have John Oliver, who's really taking a whole segment and doing 20 minutes on a thing, kind of a mini documentary in that sense, you know, of picking apart a national topic that maybe doesn't get as much uh, press or maybe isn't as interesting. I mean, he even start off a lot of times saying this isn't something you're going to hear a lot just because people, it's not flashy. It's not the big thing to talk about. Yeah, and I, I definitely see the intersection of what we do in a lot of ways, and I appreciate you saying that. And um, I think, you know, it works. I mean, you've proven it works. I mean, sure. you've proven it. And I feel like what I've been doing, just the number of views in a way, I mean, people could say, well, you know, I know tens of thousands isn't necessarily breaking the internet of what's possible, but, you know, it's still pretty good, you know, not having a budget necessarily doing it right. on my own. Uh, the fact that I feel like I know what I'm talking about and having a, an informed craft behind it. And like I said, I think it's a good time to be a filmmaker. Um, you know, the, like, and, and there's not a lot of people doing it, like you said, too. I think with film, like I mentioned earlier, it has a high barrier of entry. I mean, it's expensive to get in this. I still really? don't have the cameras I want. I still don't have the software I want. I still don't always have the skills I want, but it's just an ongoing thing, and that appeals to me. And I definitely foresee a future in this and to, to keep doing it, and I hope that it, it just builds with every project, you know. I have, sure. I have two questions. Sure, sure. One, it might be, be even easier now, though, to do – stuff like this with the technology we have like 20 years ago it would cost a fortune yeah, so so what you're saying is very true obviously it costs a lot of money to do that but it's also a good time to be a filmmaker because there's also different uh things you can do uh, yeah. yeah and you know I, I even see this on the side gigs i'll do freelance jobs and even you know something is you know boring apparently as weddings you know, in the in the eighties, it would be like you know, film guy has a tape going. They film the wedding. They hand the couple a ten hour tape of their wedding. Good <laughs> luck watching that. Right. You know, now everybody's into these like still very time consuming, but these sort of montage videos with weddings. Yeah. And you're absolutely right. the The cost of things have gone down. The access has grown. Uh, but when I started to get into it, I still realized, I'm like, well, look, I got to still understand composition, form, mm -hmm. some color theory. I don't have to be a fine artist, sure. but I'm lucky to surround myself with people who know that stuff. I have friends that are MFAs, and so we have all these, like, really in-depth art conversations. So I'll learn from them, and I'll learn from people who went to film school. So it's, it's another smart thing that I think good advice is always surround yourself with people who know what they're doing and good people as well, and you learn from that. And right. With more media doing it, it kind of sets a bar, and then you try to kind of you want to get near that in some form or another. You want to do you know that kind of quality. Like if you see the guy next to you is, is shooting on an expensive DSLR, you can't just go there with a cell phone 
and ex not only expect the same results, but ex expect the same reaction from people. In, in that, people will be like, oh, well, this doesn't, you know, uh, this isn't that great in comparison to what this guy is doing. And even if that guy isn't doing as well a job making a film or, you know, uh, expressing ideas or things like that, they might pay attention to that more just because of the, the difference in quality. Absolutely. And I think that that's the whole thing with filmmaking that I find. And if I could tie this in, I know you mentioned earlier about music because I have a little bit of sure. a background. You know, I mean, music, the, the two worlds I've realized is, you know, I don't want to offend any musicians at all, but the thing is, like, music is really saturated. I mean, it's, it's you know, people could basically, like, buy an instrument or you don't even have to. You could sample things nowadays. And I'm not knocking that, but there's just so many musicians. And some of them are really good and some of them aren't good, but it's harder for the good ones to get noticed because the ocean is so <laughs> right. big. There's just too much. There's too much. Yeah, and and uh, that's, that's one of the reasons I kind of laid off doing music uh, because because of that reason. Now with film, there's still great people even locally doing things, not just me, but even in the NEPA Film Festival, there's local people coming in that are absolutely great. But, but then there's genres. I mean, there's filmmakers, they want to do f narrative fiction. I'm not into that stuff at all, partly because the production costs just go absolutely out the roof because sure. you have to pay actors, you're dealing with stage lighting. I don't even want to deal with that stuff. <laughs> with documentary, yeah. you could go out with your DSLR, your external recorder, get pretty good lighting, and it's going to be convincing. Partly, too, I'm just a nonfiction person. I, I read almost all nonfiction books. Mm. Um, I, I mean, fiction is great, but it's... So there's so many different things. If you're a filmmaker, you might want to do documentary, but you also... There's people that want to do horror, or they want to do, like, whatever, some kind of pop romantic thing and I just happen to like documentaries and I gotta say this because I've never said it publicly anywhere so this is the first time but you know I have to say and this might somebody might roll their eyes in 2004 you know we were college students and Michael Moore put out Fahrenheit 9-11 and mm -hmm. I went to see it and I was like it was the first time I went to see a documentary in the theater and I was like this is absolutely awesome whatever you think of his politics or him himself I just found it to be that a documentary could get people so revved up about an issue and I thought that's the seeds were planted back then and the technology really wasn't where it is today um, sure. to be able to do this stuff so that's kind of where I got the the spark way back when to be interested. He, he was kind of a pioneer with like Roger and me and stuff like yeah, that you in know the 90s, indie yeah. filmmaking so it, you know he by that point had reached a level that he could re you know reach an audience nationally yeah. and put something out it was the right time because everybody was kind of politically charged with the war moment. and everything yeah, yeah yeah it just made sense you know and I, I think he's still trying to you know maybe I don't know if he's exactly at the same level I mean and people know who he is now yeah yeah uh, I don't know if people uh, people are seeing his films in the same way you know now that it's now so many other people are doing it too yeah and he's part of like this establishment type of thing but it's sure. important that that film in particular did it was hugely successful right and i was like this is interesting that you could sway opinions i mean i was never a george bush guy at all but it was interesting that he was able you know during that election cycle we didn't win that year the democrats but you know he was able to sway opinion and do different things so i just saw it as being even though you know it's important to point out film's been around for over 100 years it's not a new medium right. but it's still new compared to painting writing i mean compare it to those things music so right. it's still there's still i think a lot to be done with it mm -hmm. yeah i think it's still growing as a medium in ref retrospect i i like bush 
Well, he looks better it, now. It, it, yeah, <laughs> I don't know if I'll, I'll ever like him, but I definitely like him more than yeah. I did I, I, because of. I've warmed yeah. up to him because of, you know it's like you know whatever. But I just like, look at him now and I go. I like Bush too. But <laughs> it, different Bush. He almost seems a oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> jokes. It's 2017. Shave that shit. Uh. <laughs> I was thinking so of some the guy big... with the beard. <laughs> yeah. So no wonder, I'm not funny. I tried to throw some jokes in, but that's we need that. You know. Uh, that's what yeah, I'm here. <laughs> My second question though was, uh, so it's a 30 minute documentary, correct? Yes. Obviously, it's not done in 30 minutes. The research, the editing, like how yeah. long does that take you, or did it take you to complete that project? We did it, we, we did the first interview in mid-April. Um, conceptually, it took longer than prior to that because just coming up with the ideas. Right. The filming ended in late July, and then um, the editing was actually pretty quick. It was like a three-week thing, but I edited it myself. Now, it's important to point out that um, I was working another job and was laid off and then had this kind of interlude period in the summer. So that really helped me out a lot to be kind of not doing much to be able to kind of, you know. Yeah. But as soon as I, I got laid off, I was like, okay, this is a great opportunity to go out and film. But it was it was a ton of work and it was, it was you know, the first documentary, there were four interviews. You go out, you shoot B-roll, um, you know, you do narration, whatever, and put it to, and that, honestly, it took like three weeks. I knocked that out. It was like over Christmas break and the 2015, 2016 term. So this was like a five month thing, even for 30 minutes. And it was like, you know, I had some help, uh, Ryan Mulry, uh, Kevin Vogren. Um, those guys are great filmmakers. They helped me with B-roll and with some of the interviews and stuff. But then it was like, I had to kind of shift through all this and make it make sense. And you know, by the end of it, you're so sick of it because you're just <laughs> watching it 50 million times. And right, then right. you start really fine tuning things. That's just part of the process. But I think I rendered it like nine times in 30 <laughs> minutes, nine times. It's like, even on a, Ma a good Mac with a decent processor, that's still three or four hours. So, right. you know, it's like, I'll let it render. I'm like, I'm going to go grab a coffee and come back. <laughs> you know, so, I mean, just the math there, that's like a few days of just rendering the thing. Yeah. So it's, it's a lot of time, you know. Well, hopefully uh, people learned something from it, took something away from it. I think um, because you get kind of overwhelmed sometimes if people are negative, especially on YouTube or something like that, you don't see that a lot of people really like what you're doing and are positive about it. They may just not comment or say anything. Uh, I've I've found, especially uh, now that we're back doing the uh, the open mic events and things like that, and I see people a lot. Uh, when we were doing the Electric City Music Conference and Steamtown Music Awards, I had so many people that were like, "Hey, you know, I read what you're doing every day. I love it, and it's great." And I'm like. Well, I'm glad you said that because I wouldn't know otherwise. Yeah. Like, you've yeah. never commented. You've never liked anything. I've never seen share, you share yeah. anything yeah. that I do. I have never seen it because I'm obviously on social media every day, whether I want to be or not, working and, and getting stuff out there and trying to promote stuff and make sure that, you know, the, the work is really never done because once it's over, and I, I'm sure you see this with the film, you get it done, and you're like, okay, that's it. <laughs> now I have to begin the promotion process. Yeah. And now you have to do interviews, and I have to 
raise awareness about what you're doing and talk about it over and over again after you're already kind of sick of talking about it. Yeah. You think your, your project's over, but you still you, you got to go on Facebook and share it a thousand times and tag people and this it's, and that. It's funny because like at the end of August, I thought that exactly. I thought, okay, maybe there'll be a two week. We're already in the first week of October and this whole month is, and I'm not, I'm not bragging. I'm just saying like, it's, it's exactly what you're saying when you get involved with these things. But then, you know, I look at it like, you know, it's a weeknight, you're tired, you're doing these things, but at the same time, it's definitely a feather in your cap. And it's also reassurance that like what you did, people are paying attention to. Sure. And I think that's the greatest reward. Anybody that's into writing journalism, music, uh, book publishing, filmmaking, whatever medium they're using, it's great to get that kind of feedback. So, I mean, I'm not saying you're saying like, you know, I'm on CNN this whole month, but there's been, I mean, like you mentioned, every local medium basically came to me and I was like, this is awesome. Like, this is such a good feeling. And, you know, then I could kind of, when it calms down, you go back and scheme and you think, well, what can I do next? And that's, right. that's what I like. What am I going to throw out? Because, you know, once you get an audience, it's really cool to start shaping it the way you want to shape it. And uh, sure. I'm excited about whatever the next uh, horizons are going to be, you know? Cool. Cool. Yeah. Don't let uh, don't let any critics get you down. No. Obviously you're, you're doing you're doing well. And thank you. And I just want to thank the three of you guys. Honestly, I got to say again, this has been a fantastic. I'm not blowing smoke up. Whatever. I, I honestly, it's a, it's been a fantastic pleasure. And I always wanted to be on this podcast, so it was actually <laughs> a big deal um, to do it. So I appreciate the time and everything. Absolutely. We're happy to have you. Thank you. Do we uh, do we have anybody else that? Uh... Well, my wife actually commented, but I think I kind of touched on that before she even said that. Okay. After she said it without knowing. So thanks. Because you're, you're, you're connected. And yeah. You know, <laughs> she's pregnant and emotional, and I'm emotional too. I'm at home crying. <laughs> this is awesome. Crying. <laughs> Faster, Furious 7, crying. <laughs> I lost people on the statistics explanation. I think that probably... Yeah, that was, I was, like, interested in that one. People, you know, and, and uh, you know, people consume this afterwards, too, once the live broadcast is over, so... Cool, cool. All right, well, I guess we'll we'll wrap up then. Uh, you well... Want, you want to pop open that, that last one real quick before we go? Yeah. Tell them what it is. Oh, it's... Uh... <laughs> that was a good move. <laughs> that, was, that was good. Uh, let's see. Now this is the the pretzel beer. So I guess oh. if you're a person who oh, eats yeah. pretzels with beer, they're, uh, they're, like, we talking, we're gonna do a montage of like all my reactions. Yeah. <laughs> just, like, to the you beer. totally should. And just be going ooh or ooh ooh. Uh, and like oh. <laughs> uh, it's the uh, das Pretzel Goza, which is uh, it's a uh, kettle soured German oh, no. style ale um, mashed with uh, York City's German style sourdough pretzels. And infused with sea salt. That sounds really good. I'm gonna uh, try this. So, it, it also has aromas of uh, white grape and fruit, uh, followed by a tartness. So, should be interesting. Followed by a tartness. But you know, uh, I, I guess while we're we're, you know, giving our, our final thoughts here, oh, we gosh. haven't done a, a last word in a long time. So I guess I'll jump in with a, a last word quick. Sure. I don't know if anybody had seen the live stream that we did last night. Uh, it was, you know, just from my phone, nothing fancy like we do here or anything, uh, of the, 
open mic that we do. I saw it. And uh, <laughs> oh, about, about halfway yeah. through, halfway what through. Happened? Well, well, here, here's the thing: is is uh, you know, as I said, we get uh, most people are really cool with what we do. They love it. Whatever. Every once in a while, uh, especially if you're doing events at a bar, you're going to get a drunk asshole. You get a prick. Yeah, absolutely. So we had a, there was a, there was two guys in the back who were kind of as I called them later uh, from the stage to their their faces. I said, you know, you guys are like the the old guys from the Muppets, you know, like <laughs> yeah. yelling from the balcony kind of shit. And uh, once the comedians got up, and I've seen this at national shows too. Uh, I've I've actually talked to a lot of national comedians like Lewis Black and stuff, and they've dealt with stuff here that they don't even deal with nationally really from people heckling and trying to you know jump into the conversation and think oh we're you know i'm i'm so much funnier than this guy on the stage because i've had a couple of beers you know kind of thing so these guys jump in and they start you know trying to heckle the the guy who's up there and he, uh, you know he's a, a very funny comedian uh you know friend of mine was it, dan hopple? it was dan hopple uh through, like through these events and he, he's, you know, very, very funny, uh, so it's not like it's one of those things where the guy's bombing and he's heckling him. Like, right. the guy's very funny, and they just thought, oh, well, I'm funnier, and they're trying to jump in and stuff like that. So, you know, I don't want, you know, he was, afterwards, he kind of, you know, he was kind of like, I'm, I'm pissed, but he really gave it to them. Like, he, he was going back and forth with them and, like, really took them down, you know. And so you, you see those go viral all the time, and comedians yeah. get into the audience. But he did a hell of a job, you know, shooting the guy down and... You know, but it, it did. It kind of put a damper on the whole night at that point because now people are like, "Oh, well, you know, they don't feel comfortable." You know, even after the guys left, it was still kind of like, uh, it kind of ruins the whole vibe of the room. Yeah, if I could comment, I watched the video this afternoon actually, and I thought Dan did a good job of dealing with it because I was thinking, how would I? Right. You know, once in a while, I'll do like a live thing, and I mean, stand-up comedy's tough too. I think it's one of the hardest. Oh yeah. You know, so I give those guys especially because we have such a vibrant local scene that I know you cover as well. The local comedians, they have their work cut out for them. They do a great job. Right. But it's hard. Like, And that's kind of ties it back to the negativity and how do you deal with things. And it's yeah. it's a shame. You're always going to have the asshole somewhere. And, you know, it, it's tough in a live setting because then you, you're, you're confronted with it. And uh, you and Dan did a good job of dealing with it. Yeah, I mean, I, t I talked to them, you know, it, it, to, uh, from the stage and to their faces a few times. The bartenders were like, all right, we'll step in if we need to kind of thing. Eventually they left, you know, so. Uh, but hopefully it won't happen again, you know. Every once, I mean, we've been doing this for, all, you know, since the beginning of, of the, the, the entire website. It's almost three years we've been doing these events. And uh, I've seen this happen maybe two or three times total out of all the times that we've done it, so. You know, it, it's going to happen. It yeah, yeah, I don't want people to feel discouraged or like that's going to happen to them all the time. Obviously, we jump in and try to wise, take care of it. Wise man once said, fuck him. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was watching last night uh, live uh, yeah. from, from my phone, and uh, I saw it. And I'm like, is this, is this part of the act? Like, did he get someone to, like, heckle right, him? Because like, he did so well, like, yeah. you know, dealing with it, you mm -hmm. know. Uh, so, and then today I had to ask you, like, was that real or was that... That's why I was kind of like in our little group chat. Yeah. I was yeah. kind of like reading what was going on. I didn't know. I didn't. Yeah, I, I, I could send you the clip if you want. Yeah. You know? like I mean, he, he, Dan you know, posted it. Today. it will, yeah, yeah. Dan, Dan actually wanted to post it just <laughs> to show people that he could take on somebody like that. Yeah. So I, get, I give him props for, for doing that. And it, stuff like that, too. It's like he was insulting. And whether or not that person's mother died of cancer, like, sorry, like, that's terrible. Like, but it's comedy. It's not. It's not an insult to you or anybody to else. Right. It just yeah. 
and and he would never have gone that far had he not been pushed. Like it, it, the the weirder thing is, the guy kept saying something about uh, amphetamines. Like he just kept saying it over and over again. Yeah. Like <laughs> I'm like, are you looking for them? Are you on them? Like what? Did you lose them? Your, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like what is your deal? You know, just out out there. You know, but it it, it is what it is. Um, this is this is this is pretty good. It's it's got a um, it's sour. It's it's got a very grapey. <laughs> Do you it's, see my look? It's almost like a it's you. like a tart wine. That's why well, I, I didn't I, I didn't say anything to you because I knew that if I told you you, you wouldn't drink it. Yeah. So like I was like, like sitting back. You, like, you wanted her reaction. I was like, I was like this. You? Yeah. I, I was watching the whole time. <laughs> I was waiting for the reaction. <laughs> I just went. I could I could do I think this would be the pretzel would come through more. If, I was like, uh, it wasn't like as tart. Covered pretzel beer. Yeah, that would be cool. You know, I, I think it would be. Shock Talk has a, uh, a pretzel do, beer. The pretzel really pretzel wheat is very good. Yeah. yeah, you knew it was sour. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Go back and watch the video. I was, I was kind of like. I know. Covering my face because I was laughing the whole time. I was like, oh, yeah, totally. Let's drink this other beer. Yeah, it's awesome. Can I say that 72 beers on tap? I like to (laughs) jump in. Look at the 72 beers on tap. (laughs) Isn't it fun? I always wanted to do that. Yeah, it is fun. I always was saying I want to do like the Wayne's World, like zoom in, like, we're not advertising. (laughs) Can we get on that? Yeah. Yeah. Let's wrap this thing up, ain't it? All right. Thank you so much for tuning in tonight and uh, and listening to our conversation. Thanks to Beer Boys. Thanks to the Keys. Thanks to the Curry Center. Thanks to Little Tobacco Shop. We love you yes. guys. Got you. And uh, <laughs> if you if you didn't catch the whole thing, as soon as this goes goes off live, you can you can watch the whole thing on there. We'll also have uh, the audio version up, and uh, we'll put it to YouTube. So hopefully we'll get some better better <laughs> comments uh, when we put it to YouTube. Some nasty uh, ones. Thank you so much, and uh, have a good night, everybody. See ya. Thanks. Thanks.